State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this second season episode, we speak with Dr. Dave Chaffee, co-founder and content director at Smart Insights about the state of subscription marketing and how they've progressed since the previous conversation. Smart Insights is a publisher and online learning platform aimed at helping their members get more leads and sales with integrated digital marketing. Let's begin. Hi, Dave. How are you? Very well, thanks. And you? I'm, I'm good, thanks. It's, uh, I think it's been almost two years, but um, it's good to have you on again. Yes, you're welcome. It's, uh, I'm always keen, uh, particularly this time of year, the turn of the year, to think about the techniques which we're going to use in the, in the year ahead and uh, you know, the latest trends. And I'm happy to share the, the approach we've used at Smart Insights. Absolutely. So um, what's, uh, we, we, when we spoke last, we spoke about a similar topic that we're speaking about now, the state of subscription marketing and, and, and the progress you guys made to first from becoming a blog to becoming a subscription business. How have things changed for you guys in the past two years? Well, the, uh, the growth has still been there. Um, I think when we last spoke, we were growing uh, year on year, um, around 70% year on year through organic search. So Google is uh, definitely on our side and we follow very closely our approach um, with, with that. I think it's uh, generally it's become a lot more competitive. Um, just to give some background context for the listeners, we that transition between a blog and a paid subscription model was in around 2010. And then we saw good growth there through focusing on the needs of our audience. They're interested in learning how to be better marketers. Uh, we, we, our, our mantra is plan, manage, optimize. So we give a lot of advice on strategy development, using analytics, data-driven marketing. And then we, we target keywords around that related to developing digital marketing strategies uh, and plans. And it's really that that focus on the questions uh, our audience are interested in that we've seen that growth. So more recently, we've we found with organic search becoming more competitive, that's become more stable. And our growth is more from changing our focus on the type of audience and uh, offering different subscription propositions for, for different types of uh, businesses. So basically making it, um, making our proposition more segmented and targeted. And what kind of competition are you seeing more? Is it just uh, other publications or with different revenue models or is it just uh, the everyday person who's trying to become a thought leader in space? What are your thoughts in terms of the changing perspective and actually vision? Yeah, I think... Um... I, I think now it's uh, mainly the uh, the larger news organisations um, or online publishers. They they will target uh, the type of keywords that we're targeting as well. So, for example, uh, someone like Forbes or the Guardian. You know, they will actually cover digital marketing strategy, and they'll have a a technique to target a lot of business-related 
terms. So they're really that they've clearly got a content marketing strategy and a technique to uh, to reach their 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 audience. Uh, another example would be we're going to talk later about marketing technology and one of the uh, the the big the, the good sources of advice there that um, the listeners may have heard of is uh, G two, where they have these crowdsourced race ratings of different martech and they've actually bought created a separate hub which is just about learning and resources uh they've developed an audience of uh millions even though subscription isn't there you know that that's not really their their focus the topics they're focused on there so yeah there's yeah plenty of competition but i think more at the the high end and i think it's partly it's just as you grow a business like ours and you've you're targeting a certain range of keywords. It's inevitable if you're successful, you'll max out on those, and you'll you'll really saturate the number of people searching with with that intent for you, for your services. So you then need to broaden out and think of other uh, acquisition methods. And you mentioned about becoming more segmented um, in terms of the packaging you offer. So how has Competitors like G2 and Forbes have how have they impacted the shift in how people are interacting with the site and the expectations in the content they can consume for free versus paid? And um, how have you then addressed that through the segmentation that you guys are offering now in terms of the offering? Yeah, sure. I think it's been quite an interesting uh, journey, and it's uh, um, I think I think it's evolved as as we've seen what is uh, successful. I think first thing to say is. Yeah, all publishers have this tension between what uh, what is behind the uh, the, the gated content um, between free content that is gated. So our, our approach has been, uh, I think, when we last spoke, we had one hero piece of content related to developing a digital marketing plan, a template, and a guide, and that would generate potentially thousands of new contacts each each month but what we've done since then is to develop different content for uh, different audiences so what what we found as you might expect um, I, I think it's the nice thing of about on online publishing models that you can be agile and, and target new audiences quite rapidly uh, so, so yeah as, as I was saying what we what we found um, was that although we were targeting small medium businesses uh initially because there we, we we think there's a lot of people working in those type of companies who can't afford consultants or large agencies so they're looking for advice online about how to use digital marketing in particular but they want a one-stop uh, shop a single place with with the advice and the templates to help them plan and uh uh, grow their grow their businesses. So when we set out, we actually had a single price point of around two hundred pounds, um, and that was one size fits all. But what we found was, well, actually, it wasn't small businesses who were subscribing. There were agencies subscribing. There were large consultancies like you know, Ernst and Young, uh, Accenture, and uh, we we saw that um, there were multiple people in those businesses uh, accessing the content so 
the big shift we made uh, two or three years ago was to provide content for for those business audiences at a higher price point and then to actually introduce uh, a sales and account management team to sell to provide the support for those businesses so when we last spoke it was really a self-service subscription platform but now uh, it's 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 much more the, the growth really of the business is not so much in the self-service but within the the, the larger business market so that, that's the changes we've made. And has your role, I know that you're still the chief content officer, but has your role been discovered, but has it expanded or changed in any way as a result of this shift to more enterprise? Uh, yes, I'd, I'd say it has. I think it's, uh, it's, it's more in terms of skill set and interest. So um Initially, in the early stage growth of the company, I was the CEO as the, the co-founder who was uh, well-known within marketing. But since then, I've, uh, we, we, we ran as co-CEO, um, myself and Stu Miller, who's the CEO now, but he focuses on the, um, on, on the sales, HR, finance, those core parts of the business. So I can focus more on the... Uh, the, the customer experience through the uh, through the content. Um, although we do have a, a development team, design team in house as well, who um, who Stu's in, in, involved with. So yeah, I, I'm very much uh, in, involved with doing the research about the type of content that our audience are interested in, and looking at trends with, with my colleagues who um, manage the content as well. How 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 we can cover the latest innovation so of course artificial intelligence and machine learning are important uh, a lot of interest in those these days so we're building out more content on those and then uh, going back to the segmentation we're also offering more uh, vertical content so I think before we may have say had content for e-commerce companies against uh, business to business companies but now we we can also offer content in pharma, financial services, uh, travel, and, and agencies are a really important audience for us. We can help their uh, pitching process and how they work with clients uh, as, as well. So, yeah, it's, it's really becoming more granular and what we can offer for those, those, those vertical audiences. No, that's, that's really good to hear. Um... Being able to, like you said, being able to respond in an agile manner and uh, tailored to your audiences by verticals is absolutely key. Uh, do you think t taking one step back, like uh, looking at it one step above in terms of mm -hmm. the overall state of subscription businesses and subscription marketing, do you think that's how a lot of other publishers are taking the approach? Um, I know, for example, I read recently that I think it was Quartz. They've tried to reposition their subscription offering again to really try to encourage people to connect with journalists directly. There's the, the different value propositions that are coming out, I think, and plays that people are making. What do you think is the best? What do you think is the current play publishers are doing? Yeah, in interesting. I think, um, yeah, I, I know the, uh, the marketing uh, space best, and I, I've certainly seen other. Uh, companies in, in our areas. So there's digitalmarketer.com, 
yep. they followed a similar route to us. They perhaps started more with micro business stage and they're trying to adapt their content and the subscription offering more for that enterprise market. But uh, you've got the challenge there of, well, does the content fit the audience and does the sales process fit the audience? So we've seen them do that, but others like perhaps Marketing Profs, one of the most established uh, subscription models in in our market, they haven't really evolved uh, what they offer in, in, in the same way we have. Uh, I, I would say, I think another another way of looking at it actually is apart from the verticals and the different audiences, is if you think about the the needs of the individual. So what we've done is we're, we're able to see the individual interests, whether they're interested, for example, in developing their personal knowledge, or whether they're looking to upskill a team if they're a larger organisation or uh, really optimize their marketing as part of a performance-driven process. So we're quite careful when people first subscribe to take the time to say, well, what, are your, what are your real interests? How can we help you? And then tailor the proposition that way. So we've really built out our in, inbound marketing and our, um, our onboarding sequences so that we can show the relevance, the value better to those those different sort of personal needs. Definitely. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to ask you shortly just about the inbound marketing methods besides such that you're using, but um, I've, I've seen as well, you see that there's sort of this tribalism that's happening and there's more offline events that many publishers, even potentially your competitors, like I know Digital Market has recently branched out to do one-day conferences in, in Australia as well. Um, right. Why Why is that so important in terms of trying to drive subscribers and, and a sense of community around the publication? Or do you think that's that's not the case? No, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great strategy if that's the decision that you make. And uh, I think another competitor in this space is e-consultancy. Yeah. And they've, they've been very successful, I think, from going from perhaps smaller roundtable uh, events in the early days. And they now offer, uh, for those of your listeners not based in the UK, their Festival of Marketing, which started off really quite a small event focused on digital marketing. It's now the single largest uh, conference on, on that topic in the, in, in the UK. And that's probably become more important in terms of their revenue model than actually their, their, their core subscription business but i think we've taken the decision as a relatively small business to focus on the quality of our content and the subscription side and then in future we may uh, grow out into those sort of paid events uh, I, I i think we, we we will be doing more events like a lot of the martech vendors do with uh, sort of regional events where we might talk to prospects in a, a vertical industry so perhaps work work with a uh, put on a day for a, a group of retailers or business to business marketers and and then uh, show them the value that we can offer by by working in those relatively small groups this is a technique i've noticed a lot of the uh, the martech vendors 
use. So I, we work with part of our subscription, uh, our revenue model is uh, offering an advertising program. So we, yeah. we we have got a hybrid program. We don't do those offline events, but we have a uh, what we call a content marketing partnership. And we would work with with companies like, say, SEM Rush or Bright Edge or uh, search metrics in the search space to uh, share their white papers with our audience in, in so that they can generate more leads. And we work with a lot of email marketing uh, vendors as, as well. And what we've noticed, those vendors would originally have attended the big trade shows in London or Manchester, and some of them still do, but many are running their own program of trade share or um, user groups prospects through the year so rather than just attending say two trade shows through the year uh, they'll be running a program of events every month through the year and i think um, other publishers and conference organizers are using this approach as well so those sort of big bang once once a year uh, events they they don't give you that continuity and they become a high cost, high risk uh, approach. So I think there's that sort of more regular events that become important. We, we tend to use webinars for that as more of an online business. Definitely. I think that that continuity helps with tying back to getting them some of the value back on subscriptions or whatever, public, whatever model they're trying to use to generate revenue. So um, yes. thank you. Thank you for sharing that feedback. That's, that's pretty interesting to hear from your perspective. Um, cool. Dave, so do you think there's anything else that we've missed out on in terms of the current state of subscription marketing? Is there, are you seeing any inbound, cha inbound channels that are being used more or is there anything else that you think people should be across? Uh, yeah, I think the, uh, the dynamic changes quite rapidly in terms of for, for acquisition, uh, which of the, the platforms that dominate, which of those are most uh, uh, effective. Uh, so for us, as I said, Google Organic has been important, but of course we've also got social media. And I think in the early days of our growth, Twitter was very good for interacting with uh, our audience since it's a business audience. But what we've seen more recently, and I think since Microsoft um, have acquired LinkedIn, this um, you know that platform has become much more important, and re we really see. Uh, LinkedIn as one of the the best ways to create community and to share content. So just in the last year, we we've seen our LinkedIn grow from around I think eight thousand to uh, eighteen thousand uh, followers. So we've had a with a dedicated social media person tasked with growing that area. That's that's really helped us. I think um, for for other businesses of course facebook may be more important we we've been at the 50,000 plus followers on facebook for a long time but we don't find it so important for us in driving uh, subscriptions so i'd say linkedin is 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 our focus now i've i've always well for the last few years i've been frustrated with the uh, linkedin groups because we've actually got a, we we developed quite a large group of tens of thousands around digital marketing optimization, but the controls in LinkedIn for managing groups and really preventing spam from other people 
um, other businesses looking to sell their services in the group. It's it's hard, I think, to create a good quality um, group on LinkedIn. So what we've done for our members, because I think it's more controllable, is we've created a, a Facebook group, which uh, which tends to be uh, a better environment for for sharing because you don't have those high levels of spam. That's that's what we found. I've I'm just frustrated uh, with with LinkedIn for this. I don't know whether you've seen that as well, or, or you know whether people are uh, using LinkedIn groups uh, successfully. But well, I've, uh, I've, seen, I've seen the engagement pretty much being, to be frank, very dead. There's a lot of groups out there, but there's no engagement. And probably, like you said, Facebook groups is a new avenue, and Slack as well that people are using to create community groups. Yes. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. Um, you, have you guys, with podcasting, have you guys tried podcasting as well? Has that been a, a, another way to get away? Uh, yeah, podcasting is, uh, it's an interesting one, and it's uh, quite timely, you uh, you ask. I didn't men- mention earlier, but we're, uh, yeah, we're starting our own podcast. Uh, well, we've recorded the first version, um, the, the first episode uh, of What's New in Marketing? WNIM. Uh, so yeah, we are starting a, a, a podcast as uh, part part of uh, the the member offering, really. Although it will be uh, available more widely, so it, we're not gating the podcast in any way. But we, um, it's really been driven by requests from our members. So when our account managers with the uh, the large business uh, membership customers. They've been really uh, asking for for that that choice of, of um, delivering content, and they said, you know, it's it's when we're driving to work, it's when we're working out in the the gym. That's when we would find that useful because it is one of the pillars of what we offer, as well as the uh, the best practice advice. It's just keeping people, keeping our members up to date on the uh, the latest uh, changes on the. The platform. So we have an area of the site that's called "What's Hot," um, and it seemed a natural evolution to uh, to launch this "What's New in Marketing." Uh, so watch this uh, watch this space and do uh, check it out. It'll be uh, launching within the next uh, the next month. We'll definitely add links to to that podcast as well. Thank you. That. So thank you for sharing this current state. Let's move on to sort of the lessons that you learned as you guys have moved into enterprise sales more specifically. So can you share some uh, inbound best practices? And yeah, let's start with inbound best practices for now with the enterprise sales. Okay, sure. Uh, Well, we've, um, yeah, I always like to share what's worked and what hasn't worked. And uh, if if we look at the main driver of uh, visitors, that's very much... uh, Google, and uh, I don't think I mentioned we actually get around half a million uh, visits each each month. So it, it's really important. And of those visits, about eighty percent of them are uh, based in Google. And although we're based here in the UK, our, our, our largest market is 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 the US, and also uh, Australia, Canada, all, all the English speaking uh, countries. Uh, so, so what we've we've seen in terms of inbound is that uh, you have to be much more careful about the 
the way the SERPs features are in different markets. So if you looked uh, for our target keywords and what the competition is, they are in fact quite different between the United US and UK. So you have to look at the um, the features. Some of the listeners may know that uh, Moz, the uh, the search tool, they they part part of their um, insight, which anyone can access. It's called Mozcast, and it keeps an idea. Uh, it keeps track of all the features which are in the search results page. So it might be images, might be video, uh, but also all these related questions. And what we've seen over the last couple of years, it's it's getting featured in those rich results, those rich snippets that's become uh, much more important and answering uh, answering questions. So when when uh, you're asking about the uh, the enterprise level what we've actually found is our, in our particular market the uh, the enterprise people they'll come to the site very often in uh, you know w- with similar intent in terms of the keywords so it's all about trying to get them on the right journey uh, with within the the website and we've created more of a segmented uh, customer journey on on the site but if someone is interested in their their team, we can then have separate pages, whether they're an agency or perhaps a smaller business, and then explain the the enterprise offering as as well. So, the what what we found really it may be specific to us, but you don't really see specific behaviours from the enterprise people uh, and, and, until they're visiting the site, and then you have to ask the question, and we have a separate sort of business mem- membership uh, subscription form where we'll, we'll give demonstrations of that service because obviously they're making a bigger commitment than the individual uh, subscribers. So in the last two or three years, we've, we've built out that enterprise sales team. E- even though the original uh, inbound techniques have really, re- really stayed quite similar, it's, uh, it's just the customer journey on the site and the uh, uh, the sales process that have changed. Does that, has that helped you with, because with enterprise, it's it's a lot more stretched out in terms of the buying cycle. Has that helped you close subscription sale, enterprise sales more quickly or how have you, by doing that process, enabled you guys? Yes, to- you're right. It is, uh, it is uh, more, more drawn out. I think the, uh, the record for a, um, a sale would be uh, over a year but but on the other hand there will be people who i think they've bought in if you can provide the right content on the site explaining how your subscription helps different members of 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 the team then people will convert w- within periods of uh, if if not days they'll convert within weeks or maybe two or three months would be a typical uh sales cycle what we've done to to help show the value of enterprises, we've um, created a series of toolkits. I think when you when you've got an information marketing product with lots of resources, it can be hard to see uh, the, the different types of value you offer. So, I think what really helped our enterprise um, sale, we've always had uh, toolkits. So we might have, for example, digital marketing strategy toolkit, social media email search toolkit but we created a series of 10 toolkits which were more related to uh, 
managing brands, managing digital transformation in those larger uh, enterprise business by so by simply saying those these ten toolkits are only available in enterprise that that meant that that people were keener to have a demo, see what we could offer in in that area. And I think the big push over the last two or three years in terms of the experience for those enterprise is in uh, um, e-learning and developing the e-learning. And you can only really show that e-learning experience unless you have someone uh, on, on a demonstration of using the, uh, the platform. Uh, so that, that's what's really worked for us. And um, we're just talking about the, the initial uh, subscription there. I think what, what's really been great for us and, and our members is that these subscription, uh, enterprise subscriptions, the uh, the retention rate is 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 higher as well because we're we're seeing that it's an ongoing learning process that the uh, businesses want to offer to 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 their staff. Whereas if it's an individual subscribing, you know maybe they're looking for a particular uh, guide which meets their immediate needs. So for example, I want to create a digital strategy for my small business. So they'll they'll use our templates to support that. But then when they've met that need, they've perhaps got less need for us if they're not following the latest updates. So we, we found enterprise really works both in terms of uh, higher average order value and high, higher lifetime value uh, for, from increased retention as well. How much important is a, is, is a uh, centric around a relationship? So is it based on... How important is the, basically the point of contact that's originally purchased the subscription in order to maintain that enterprise subscription with the company? Yes, you're right. It's uh, re really important and it's classic uh, account management. So we use a similar structure to many people, business-to-business uh, -business organizations do, sales organizations. So we have um, our new business development account managers who do the demonstrations and talk about the benefits but then when someone joins the company they'll have a dedicated uh, account manager so um, we, we started off actually just with those new business development uh, salespeople and then switched over to adding in um, several uh, account managers so they've got a, a permanent point of contact and we'll try and do an onboarding session with everyone within the first three month period. And then in, in line with what people want every six or 12 months um, that, that we, we, we can take people through the, the, the latest content and the, the latest tools that we have uh, available. So yeah, it's definitely an ongoing uh, relationship. And I think that really helps the retention rates we've seen with that uh, that, that, that enterprise level. How do you think that differs uh, from current news or publishing organizations? They, they would all have sales teams and, and marketing teams, uh, but they, obviously they're focusing more on trying to get bookings for advertising or what uh, yeah. other things. How do you think that mindset shift would need to change if a publishing company would need to do something similar, would, would do something similar along what you guys are doing? Yeah, I I definitely uh, re recommend that that approach. It's uh, I, I I think it's thinking about ways you can add value on the individual subscription. So can you give tailored advice and consulting? And I think what we 
perhaps hoped that we would be able to do is to have a more uh, consultative uh, approach and blend an additional consulting uh, option with the membership product. But the it, it seems people want uh, or our members are looking for you know, they're they're looking for an ongoing relationship, but because they're so busy in their day to day work. Um, or perhaps they've got other agencies or consultants that they've worked with. We haven't been successful in getting a sort of high level of consulting work, which we expected to be able to. So I think the recommendation for others in this space is to think about different different ways you can offer uh, value and to see see what's most effective in in, in your market. Yeah, definitely solution setting and pretty much focusing on that as opposed to numbers and what outcome. Yeah, I think that don't trump any any sort of numbers and figure promises that you give at the end of the day. That's right. And and Dave, just in terms of some of the lessons you learned with customer retention, like you mentioned, there's that onboarding process. But you know, I'm sure that you've seen some points where maybe users haven't been as active and maybe that's going to cause them to potentially not um, continue with the subscription. How do you how have you maintained a long retention rate with your customers? Well, I think it, it starts with the uh, the measurement and really having a good idea of the number of active members that you have, and then understanding the we, we talked about the customer life cycle. If you like, um, when someone is. Uh, first becomes aware of you and then they'll start consuming the con- the content before they convert i think it's it's then understanding the uh, the journey uh, the type of resources that they use through through time so our um we, we, within our content production team we, we we look at the analytics very carefully to see the pathway of how, how people use different uh, content through time so you really want to demonstrate you know this concept of time to time to value you really want to see someone an individual using the resources as soon as possible or if it's a, a team member that as many people in the team as possible become start to use the platform so that's why we have the onboarding sessions where we encourage different people in the in the organization to join a call and so it's not just an individual demo it's with everyone in the team so they uh, so they buy into it, but on the yeah on the individual membership, I think uh, what we found m- most effective is having a very regular program of email marketing. Uh, so we'll we'll set, as we, we've got as, as most publishers do, we we we've got uh, newsletters and we'll uh, we, we'll we'll run those twice weekly. But we also have a monthly roundup of. The, uh, the member content and how that's changed, how that's improved through time. Um, it, it's interesting you ask about uh, you know, identifying whether people are becoming less active through time. I think we, we could definitely be more sophisticated in that area, uh, looking at an individual level of how the, um, the activity has declined. But we've we put in place some technology to support that, and I can talk about that when we come on to uh, the, the the Martech stack. Definitely. Um, just with um, 
is there any feedback loops that your customers can give you or and or is there any mechanisms that the um, you guys have in place so that besides looking at analytics and trying to rely on that um for your existing members as is there anything in place that you can help you to continue to um, retain those customers yeah, that, that's a great question, because I think uh, when we talk about data-driven marketing, people think straight away with online, they think about Google Analytics, but it's really important to get those personal uh, opinions and feedback as, as well. So any business like ours, you're getting continuous feedback, whether it's from the uh, the guys talking to customers on the phone and so um the, uh, the support system where there's queries about accessing content uh, and, and recommendations. And then um, as well as those, you, you, you need a, a sort of continuous feedback method. So we, we actually have monthly meetings where we look at all the feedback from the different channels and then we use that to prioritize improvements to the content or the, the experience in the member area as well. But we, we certainly run um, annual surveys to, to get that sort of top-level feedback. But I think in addition to that, it's good to have specific interviews where you really get to understand the details of someone's content needs and how it, um, how it fits with their work. Well, one of the techniques we're a big fan of is the uh, Jobs to be Done, JTBD, or open innovation. So this is a, a, a new product development method that's used a lot within business-to-business organizations. But we found it very useful for reviewing how our content supports the different activities that our members need to work on in the day-to-day uh, as part of their planning and running their campaigns. So we, we did a series of one-on-one interviews of up to an hour where we were talking to different personas. So we have uh, six different personas for our audience and we built those out based on these interviews. And it was really useful for just checking the gap between what we offered and what the audience uh, needed. So yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of those, uh, that, that personal um, f- feedback in addition to Google Analytics as well. And I think we're, we're pretty good at getting that feedback now that we've got the uh, the account management system in 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 place and the monthly review system. How do you deal with people or customers that you know they they come up with so much energy in the beginning and all of a sudden they go quiet and you have those feedback loops in place and you want to ask for their feedback, try to get them re-engaged, but you you don't know why they just stopped engaging back with you guys. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I think that's really difficult if you don't have the direct contact with people in the organization. So for our individual subscriptions, subscribers, that would naturally happen because they will often subscribe because they have a particular need on a particular project to use our use our subscription. And um, it's it's not necessarily a problem if they do actually go quiet. It may be just that they've moved on to a project and they'll come back to uh, to use your subscription at a later time. Um, I, I haven't mentioned it's quite an interesting dynamic for us because for the individual subscribers, we have both a monthly and an annual 
subscription. And we think overall from testing it that overall the it supports the revenue model better to to have both. But it is what we find with the, the individual subscribers is that you know there's a very wide range. Some people may just uh, subscribe for a short period because their budget is limited and they've got a very specific need to perhaps download our campaign planning um, toolkit. So we offer our, we gate our or, or throttle our individual subscription at five members, uh, five downloads per, per month. Otherwise, those individuals could just download everything. And that seems to work quite well in terms of us getting the revenue to support the development of our resources. But if people do only have um, you know, the $60 for, for that monthly subscription, they can get the immediate value. But, but going back to your question, what we see is that those individual subscribers, they may just subscribe for perhaps three or four months, then they'll stop because they're, you know, they're focusing on another area of their business. But then they may come back at a later stage when they um when 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 they need us so they can uh, effectively they're turning us on and off as 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 a tap but for those people and perhaps those larger organizations who are going to have more people accessing the resources then it's more an annual level so we've i think since we first spoke we and certainly since we first launched where it was an annual only proposition we've introduced this monthly choice and that seems to help meet different needs uh, within the audience as as well but we yeah we certainly haven't cracked the, uh, the 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 subscription and the right really identifying when when people are going quiet because they may be going quiet for good reason they've they've got other aspects of their business they're now focusing on do you see what i mean no i do um, and i think that leads perfectly to uh, the martech stack and and trying to challenge address uh, trying to develop the right tech stack for your subscription business so uh, I, the reason why we're bringing this up as well is because you recently wrote about this on your personal blog um and the you know the ma- the landscape's ma- massive and people need to understand what the best types are there for them so uh, what do you think what, what advice do you give on trying to develop the best martech stack both for a subscription business and generally for marketers yeah it's certainly um a, a challenge as you said that that blog post that's in the um in in the show notes is looking at uh what uh, scott brinker of hubspot uh, he he's been cataloging this uh the, the martech landscape for the last uh i think it's all oh, seven or eight years now and when he yeah. started he identified was it 600 700 different technologies but he's now up to 10 times that so his latest visual has got 7000 different separate technologies uh on it um and and clearly that's you 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 only need a fraction of of those and what what I've tried to do in that article is to say there are some core activities that you need to support i think scott's got maybe 40 or, or more categories of marketing technology, which even at that level is difficult to get your, your head around. So what we've tried to do, and you, you, if, you, if you take a look at this post, you'll see we've created this wheel of 30 categories of technology that um, m- most transactional businesses would, would need. And the way we look at it is if you split out the tools in terms of acquisition, 
conversion retention. So we've got our race planning framework, which mirrors that. Then you can think about uh, the tools in certain areas. So for example, the reach tools, you, you've got to have a good uh, set of insight tools uh, re related to using search marketing. And you may want to invest in SEMrush or Ahrefs or those paid tools. We actually find uh, we, we, we do subscribe to SEMrush via, via our agency, but we actually find the Google tools, Google Search Console, uh, for example, Keyword Planner, their free tools are so good that they're effective. So part of your MarTech stack will be these insights tools as well as the more operational tools for managing the communication. So I think that's the advice there. Think about both types of tools. When you get into the um, the, the the inbound area, I think having a, a single MarTech um, marketing cloud system is, you know, really where the, 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 the smart money is, is, is going. There was an interesting survey recently that showed that around half of businesses now, they do have a single preferred supplier. So whether it is someone like HubSpot or, or Zoho or some of the enterprise options from uh, Adobe or uh, Oracle, they're trying to use a single platform where they, they can manage the whole customer journey. I, and, and I think there are publishing specific options for that as well. We don't, our, our decision wasn't to use publishing specific uh, technology. I, I do follow this because in the UK, any, anyone listening from the, from the UK will probably know there's a, there's a print magazine called In Publishing, uh, which, which is also obviously available uh, online and that may be of interest to people outside of the UK it talks a lot about subscription revenue models too I don't know are you aware of that one I am because we're in a similar space but I don't follow as regularly but yeah I have heard of that yeah, yeah it's it's interesting because it's uh yeah they're they're following the offline uh magazine route uh to to, to help publishers with with that but yeah going back to the uh the, the, the MarTech stack. I think what we've done in terms of the marketing cloud solution is we've focused on uh, Salesforce as that marketing cloud option with Pardot for email marketing. So that gives us the visibility over the full customer journey. But what it and it and it in, integrates with the the website, so we can score. Uh, visitors to the site you were asking earlier about looking at levels of engagement we can see which types of content people have off uh, accessed on the site are they interested in perhaps the uh, the business membership and we we can then profile them and the sales team can can look look to talk to those those people who've put their hand up and shown that level of interest but there's another really interesting, um, I think most people will be familiar with that sort of Salesforce uh, HubSpot type approach, but we, we've actually introduced another uh, tool called Intercom into our, into our MarTech stack, which we, we found really effective. Are you uh, familiar with that one? Have you? I am. I'm, I'm using Drifter, yeah. Okay, yeah, I was going to mention for anyone looking into this, there's the really, I, 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 knew, I knew of Drift and Intercom, I don't know of any other solutions. And I think the other providers are maybe trying to build 
some of the functionality. But we we yeah we found that fantastic really for delivering the uh, the inline messages when someone is on the site. You can have a real time recommendation. Okay, we see this person's accessed this content um, uh, about how to help their business, so we can recommend some other content. And we we found very high. Uh, levels of response to those messages much higher than email because I think it's in the moment. If we send out an email, someone is probably going to access it at least 30 minutes after they've been on the site, maybe next day, next week, and the uh, the open and click rates are a, a lot lower. Don't get me wrong, I think email, you know, it still works and it's a key a, a key channel for subscription businesses. But if you add in this sort of real-time personal messaging. I think Gartner, the, the analyst group, they call this conversational marketing, one of the big yeah. trends. And for publishers, this um, intercom or drift, if you're not using that sort of tool, I think that's um, a missed opportunity because it actually it, it goes through the whole process of onboarding customers as well and providing frequently asked questions and support. And I think um, some something like, say, Salesforce, it is more around selling rather than customer service, customer satisfaction. But with, with Intercom, it bridges across both areas. So it goes across from prospects through to uh, customers uh, and retaining those customers. There is a big investment, though, that needs to happen. And some maybe some publishers that not about be at the stage where you guys are at potentially can't afford it. How do you still, how do you think they can still? manage that or maybe do you think or am i completely wrong in assuming that maybe subscri- subscription publishers have that enough capacity to, to yeah to- no there is uh there, there's certainly a cost uh, implication with uh, intercom because it's yeah they're in a position i think to charge quite high fees on an individual uh, site visitor basis because people do see the value and you know they get hooked into using the system because it really helps with conversion and retention so the way we've managed that because we get so many monthly uniques we couldn't afford to use intercom on the front end of the site so we actually only use it for the uh, so rather than hundreds of thousands of uh, people accessing the site we use it for the tens of thousands of people who are regularly, you know, becoming leads and then are our members. So you you will you will only see um, Intercom on Smart Insights if you become a free a free member, and that's where it works for us. So we find we 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 get the ROI for it at uh, at that level. But you can I know small people with smaller footfall they will just use it on the uh, the front end of the site uh, as as well. No, that's very smart. But even even for like Salesforce, Salesforce is pretty expensive as well. So would it would just be simply replacing it with a small business version one until they can get to that level. Yeah, that's uh, that that that's right. I think uh, anyone takes a look at our marketing wheel. We've actually structured it to help, say, smaller businesses. The tools around the end of the the edge of the low cost or free versions. Um, so in that case. Yeah, Oracle would be a very expensive enterprise. You know, we we actually find Salesforce is fine in terms of ROI for our size of business. But then you've got the freer, um, the 
like HubSpot do have some low cost options as well for smaller businesses. And then I think MailChimp is one of the most widely used uh, free email systems, but it does support some of this marketing automation that you need to to help encourage subscription uh, as as well. So yeah, there are there are options at different price points. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so let's look ahead, Dave. And what what's some of the plans that you have in store for twenty twenty? Yes, I think um, for, for for us, what's uh, our, our big our big push over the last uh, six months has been to to introduce a new platform for the uh, the digital learning. So I think um, in in the early days there are because we're a WordPress based platform. We, uh, we we use some of the plugins that are available. We use something called LearnDash for our, our our subscription learning product. But we we've found I think the audience and um, have become more demanding in terms of what's available. So we wanted to create a more interactive experience, which we've uh, done with a platform called Articulate Rise. So we've actually employed dedicated uh, digital learning manager and uh, team to uh, support that so we're, we're really investing in the customer experience and the quality of the content and also I think making the content more uh, more granular so that our members can consume it in smaller chunks so like uh, a, a lot of b2b information products we started with uh, downloads so our, our success has grown on someone downloading a template to fill out a plan or a, uh, a long form guide, which might be 50, 100 pages because it gives the full details you need on, say, organic search. You can't cover that in in uh, in, in, in just five, 10 page document. And of course, a lot of the free content is that short form content. So we really had to create long form content to uh, compete and to to show the value, give the value to our audience. But what we can now do through e-learning is provide uh, a series of integrated modules that people can navigate their own journey through the content. So we call these our learning paths, and we've got some standard learning paths. So you might learn, for example, how to plan a marketing campaign, create a digital strategy. But we've also got tailored paths where people can say, well, this is what I'm interested in learning and then we can say well these are the recommended modules um and they might just be modules about the latest developments in a uh, a topic so for me what we're seeing there it's really one of the main trends in uh, content marketing from content becoming static moving from static downloads or static website experiences into more interactive experiences and we we, we provide interactive tools as well, which are part of the conversion process because they help people decide on the right, um, that, that we're, we can provide the right content, but they also are part of the member experience. So we've got two tools, one of which is, we, we call it the personalized learning planner, and that um, allows you to answer a sh short series of questions that look at your skills in digital marketing and then we recommend relevant content. And then for someone who's more interested in improving the results for their business, we've got a, a maturity tool we call the Capability Grader. And we use that to 
look on a scale of one to five, you know, are you just setting out in digital or are you more sophisticated? So those sort of interactive tools are already in place and then we're then going to link them through to the e-learning. But incidentally, we find the great thing about um, these interactive tools is that you can find out a lot more about your audience. So we are able to say, okay, this person who's interested, they've just scored themselves one. So they're, they're really not very sophisticated. And we find the majority of people who complete this survey, they just rate themselves uh, at the one or two out of five score where five would be you know, world-class digital marketing. So um, there, there's many people still uh, just starting out and learning in this, in, in this area. Well, I think within this, this initiative, and I guess where things are heading out, I'm sure that's it's going to make it dynamic and it's going to make it easier for them to learn. So, Dave, with that, I, I wish you guys all the best and continued success, and, and thank you for joining us. You're, you're, you're very welcome. And, uh, yeah, it will be good to touch base in, in the future as well, and uh, I'll certainly continue listening to, uh, to your podcast to inform our our future ideas uh, yeah, as well. So, yeah, all, all, all the best for uh, the, the, the years ahead. Thanks, and we always appreciate your transparency. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.